This is Draco Malfoy and the Wheel of Hecate, part four of the Mirror of Isidiru series by Star Bridget. Chapter three, The Dark Mark. Avensaguium. Draco followed the tug to Luna, fearing it would again fail him in a moment of danger like with Hermione and the basilisk. But he found Luna right at the end of the pull, with as many Weasleys around her as any reasonable person could hope for. Hermione and Potter were with them, flushed, triumphant faces illuminated by the sparkling green fireworks above them, some eerie anticipation of the green light of the mark that would be coming above them. There was no way for Draco to warn them without making himself look guilty. He'd have to perform shock as if his life depended on it. No more way to warn them than there would have been to stop this pointless display from happening at all. Not that it would have been worth the risk, even if it had seemed a possibility. Only a few muggles, levitated and not even killed, and some bad press for Britain and Fudge, which would do well to distract him from the small matter of a pocket watch. Soon Mr Weasley called them in for a celebratory cup of hot cocoa, in which Fred and George showed off all the galleons they'd won. Draco showed off his new watch with as much faux smugness as he could muster. It's thanks to you two, Draco said modestly, grateful for the twins' prediction skills to save him from any remote suspicion of foreknowledge. I followed your lead. You took his watch? Mr Weasley marvelled, and your father repays you by letting you spend the night in our tent. That's exactly why. Draco lied, go big or go home, with lies now. He was so angry, he told me not to come home with them tonight, and go off and stay with my disgusting pauper friends, if I wanted to impress them so much. As if that's a punishment. Ron did his best squeaky impression of Dobby. Lucius Malfoy's terrible punishments. Hermione exchanged a bemused look with Ginny as Potter, Draco and Luna howled with laughter. Is this how it feels to never know what their jokes are about? It's awful, isn't it? Ginny sighed. And Ron and Draco are always joking. Yeah. Draco said. Ron is a joke, but for me, maybe it's because I'm the joker. And when he grabbed the corners of his mouth and pulled them very wide apart, he gave Hermione the pleasure then of being the only one to laugh. They'd watched the Muggle Batman movie together this July in her hotel room. He thought he was remembering correctly as he quipped, look, I've even got green hair. Oh my god, God, Hermione said, you do look like him. That's actually rather your personality. And Luna poked her arm patiently, awaiting explanation. Why so serious? Draco growled at Hermione, twisting his head predatorially in her direction and letting his antics distract him from what he knew was coming. Both she and Potter laughed hysterically this time. What's so funny? Ron asked. Potter's muggles never took him to the movies, so he looked just as clueless and yet he'd laughed. You don't get it, do you? Why are you laughing? Potter flushed, looking down. He did a funny voice. 
Ginny was soon falling asleep over her cocoa, and Mr Weasley sent them off to bed. Although Draco offered to double up in a bunk with Charlie, he earned only glares for this suggestion, and a swift conjuring of another cot beside the bunks. Spoil sports, Draco drawled, while focusing very hard on the tent wall in front of him, to avoid the temptation to turn and watch Potter changing behind him. Draco insisted Luna spend the night as well, and helped her enchant a note to send off to her father, who seemed lackadaisical about such matters. Mr Weasley conjured her a cot beside Draco, and Draco was unashamed to summon over her trunk from the Lovegood tent, and accept a loan of one of her pyjama sets since she'd brought a week's worth. Draco, Potter said slowly, those are girls' pyjamas. When Draco emerged from the ensuite bathroom, undeterred in Luna's largest set of pyjamas, oversized enough to fit him, Potter nearly fell off his top bunk at the sight. What? said Draco, while Hermione issued commands not to be so heteronormative, and Ron laughed his head off at Draco's new silver-patterned pair of metallic pink satin pyjamas. I could be on a runway in Paris. I could be in a runway on the moon, put together with my hair. This ensemble has a real futuristic meets retro androgynous je ne sais quoi. Draco, Hermione said tiredly, you look very nice. Now, why don't we all agree Draco looks very nice so we can all get some sleep? Luna insisted on taking pictures of herself and her favourite cousin in matching pyjamas, but then reluctantly agreed to go to bed, still whispering over every now and then to Draco until they finally all fell asleep. Except for Draco, who had taken his time getting dressed, not just arranging the pyjamas but making sure to fill the pockets with the talon wand, enough galleons to get by in a pinch, Potter's damaged hair clasp, and his hard-earned new pocket watch. When Draco first heard the sounds of disruption outside, he kept his eyes closed and his frame as still as possible, but he reached blind into his pocket, felt around and got out the clasp to try and fasten his hair back on the pillow. Screams began, and Draco was still fumbling when Mr Weasley cried out and woke the other children. Get up! Ron, Harry, come on now! Get up! This is urgent! Draco was hustled out along with the others without time to get dressed, though that did lend more credence to his picture as hapless victim. He only managed to get Luna to put back on her sleeping beauty necklace before they were pulling on their shoes and racing out. It was more dangerous looking here, in the thick of it, than it had been from his old vantage point watching superiorly from the woods. There's father, Draco thought and made a game of trying to pick out which of the lot of hooded Death Eaters was father, as they made their green-lit procession, levitating a muggle family above them. Draco finally recognised father by the spell he used to blast a tent out of the way of their progression, Lacanum Inflammare. Apparently witnessing Draco use it in his assessment had given him some ideas. After the fireball flew through not just that tent, but the several beside it, Draco could look back and recognise his father's walk. He wondered what father would do if he saw him, a beacon in pale metallic pink, 
his arms around Luna, the shorter, longer-haired twin, Beacon. He wondered what father would do if Draco raced in front of that motley crew and demanded they stop this farce. There were two children being whirled about, a muggle woman with her knickers exposed as she was turned upside down. When Draco remembered his own reaction the first time, gleefully bragging to Potter about the prospect of the same exposure happening to Hermione, he felt ill. He tightened his arms around Luna, but she wasn't the one in danger. Hermione, he snapped, looking about and drawing her right beside him. Stay by me. Don't you dare wander away, not for a second. Draco might have made her a more appealing target this time for his father by their friendship. Luna was in shorts, but Hermione as well as Ginny were in night dresses, and it was sick and filthy that he even had to notice that and fear for them. Sooner than let father humiliate Hermione like that woman, he would cast Lacanum in Flamare at father himself, and see how well that fit with Peter's compunctions over underage wizardry. There had been supposed to be girls' and boys' tents, but Draco's insertion as well as Luna's in their midst had made separation break down. Now there was only one for older and younger, with Bill, Charlie and Peter coming out of the other tent fully dressed, wands out. Draco had his fingers on his wand in his pocket, and thought sourly that he would have been more use fighting than those three put together, before remembering he had no intention of fighting his father. "'Going to help the Ministry!' Mr Weasley shouted, readying himself for action. "'You lot, get into the woods and stick together. "'I'll come and fetch you when we've sorted this out.' "'Don't worry,' Draco called after him. "'No one is going to touch them.' There must have been some excessive vehemence in his voice because all four men turned to stare back at him before nodding and racing towards the chaos. The Weasley twins pulled them towards the wood and... Underage statutes or not, Draco dearly hoped they and the others had their wands on them as well. There were no lanterns in the wood, and when Hermione got sick of them blundering around in the darkness, she cast Lumos. Draco followed suit, and they found Ron had fallen over a tree root. The déjà vu hit him in this place of new wariness, afraid, not for himself but for them. It hardly helped matters that he was not fully dressed and prepared this time, but running about in pink satin pyjamas. While the twins hauled Ron up, Draco took the pause to get his hair out of his eyes, making a useless attempt to fix it with one hand while keeping his lit wand raised for the others. Let me, Potter's voice said out of nowhere, and Draco let go and obediently surrendered his hair to Potter holding the wand higher so it would give him a halo for Potter to work under. Your hair smells like mint, he said softly. Must be the colouring. Potter's fingers glided over his scalp, gathering the hairs and sweeping them together under the clasp for him, before putting it back in place. Potter's hands brushed the back of his neck as he let it go, and then he turned to face Potter from very close seeing a lack of awareness of their danger on Potter's face, nothing but concentration on Draco before him. The trees kept lighting up with blasts of green light in the distance, but a blast that came from closer had Potter urging them on deeper into the wood to the sound of screaming. 
For once, Draco's voice was not one crying out. He pushed Potter out of the way, mean as it was, in his haste to get between Hermione and Luna again. They'd lost Fred and George along with Ginny, who'd had the good sense not to stop and dawdle with their little sister in danger. Ron and Harry took up the front, while Draco kept Hermione between the three of them despite her protests. Hermione, you don't get it. You're not a muggle, but you're still the first one they'd be after. He hissed, and she made a noise like she hadn't realised and let him hover closer as they walked. They came upon some Beaubaton girls arguing nearby. A curly-haired girl asked them, Où est Madame Maxime? Nous l'avons perdu. And unlike the other four, Draco happened to both speak French and know who Madame Maxime was. Rather careless for them to have lost someone that much taller than Hagrid. Je ne sais pas, Draco answered while the others anxiously waited for him. Avez-vous tous sang peur? They all nodded anxiously. Peramoldeuse? They shook their heads. Pas besoin de sanguitaire de quoi que ce soit. Personnelle ciblera les sang peur. Ne vous inquiétez. Restez-vous hors de vue et vous les trouvez plus tard, d'accord? What was that? Hermione asked, looking impressed. I didn't know you spoke French. Luna lit her wand like Hermione and Ron followed suit. They all seem much calmer after you talk to them, even with those pyjamas. I told you, they're the height of fashion in Paris. Ah, no, I don't believe it, I've lost my wand, Potter exclaimed, drawing all their attention. You're kidding, Ron exclaimed. And they all raised their wands for Potter to look over the ground, but in vain. Maybe it's back in the tent, said Ron. Maybe it fell out of your pocket while we were running, Hermione suggested anxiously. Maybe one of the French girls took it, Luna suggested, and earned a number of stares. It's possible, she said placidly. Draco smirked at Potter's disquiet, nudging at him again with his shoulder. Potter jumped, and then jumped again when there was a loud bang. Don't worry, Potter. If they come for you, I'll shoot fireballs at them, Draco whispered, putting on a brave face and wiggled his eyebrows at him. Let's just keep moving, shall we? Ron said nervously, and kept them looking for the twins and Ginny. If it was just Ginny, Draco might have said good riddance. And after that trick with the fake marauder's map that the twins played on him last year, Draco was ready to surrender them too to the sweet embrace of death, even if they had gotten rather fit. But he knew this lot well enough to know the suggestion wouldn't play. He kept his mouth shut scanning the area for threats around and waiting for the dark mark to erupt above. That should be the end to all this useless chaos. They passed by all sorts of people and species, having to drag Ron back from Vila's. Draco found that rich when there were much lovelier ladies there, his cousin and best friend, in need of Gryffindor chivalry. Once they escaped the Vila, they found themselves in a quiet part of the woods. Potter demonstrated his excellent survival instincts by proclaiming they could just stay here because we'll hear anyone coming a mile off. Barely seconds before Bagman came wandering into their hiding place. He questioned them incoherently before leaving them alone. Ron led them into a small clearing 
and kept them all amused by showing off the bow-legged walk of his crumb figurine. Draco contributed to morale by using Engorgio and making the crumb figurine the size of a large book. He enchanted it to try and kiss Hermione, who was distracted enough trying to dodge little Crumb's affections and suppress her shrieks. She almost forgot to fret after the other Weasleys. Oh, Hermione, if you don't want him, I'll kiss him, Luna said happily, and was more than generous in the embrace she offered little Crumb once Draco turned him to her instead. Draco and Ron began to make up a play, where Luna, voiced by Draco, and a surly Hermione voiced by Ron, competed for Crumb's affections. Crumb was just about coming round to choosing Hermione, before there was the sound of another intruder coming upon them, ruining Draco's planned punchline. The person staggered up and then halted. Hello, called Potter, and Draco whacked him on the arm and put a finger to his lips. One by one, they stifled the light from their wands and put little Crumb back to small size in Ron's pocket. Potter would not stay put, as Draco advised, and went off to peer around the trees, though at least he had the grace not to run his mouth again. It didn't matter, as a low, ragged voice shouted out, Mors Mordre! Oh, fuck! Draco groaned and grabbed Potter and pulled him back into their clearing. Well, at least that should mean it's over, he muttered to himself but they were all too frozen in perplexed terror to notice him yawn in relief. He avoided watching the green light rise to the sky, having no interest in getting his friends in trouble by some humiliating respiratory fit. But it was hard, when everyone else got up and he had to follow to be sociable. Draco, what's that? Luna asked, poking at his arm, and then her face changed when the skull took shape enough to be recognised. She hid her face in his shoulder then, before the snake even licked its way out of the skull, looking happy as ever to be consumed. Hermione screamed, as did Ron with Luna's scream muffled by his shoulder. Potter just stared up at the sky blankly. Why is everyone screaming? he asked, as the whole damn woods echoed with it and began to look about for the Mark's caster surpassing blunderbuss that he was. Draco seized his face and jabbed his left index into Potter's skull. Ow! Isn't that hurting, Potter? Draco hissed. What use is that ugly thing if it isn't now? Hurry, come on, move! Hermione said and tugged Potter by the jacket. Draco folded Luna under his arm. She didn't seem to be enjoying this remaining sign of Tom Riddle as much as she had the handsome ghost of the diary. It's the dark mark, Harry. You know whose sign? Voldemort's, Potter began as if it was imperative, even at this moment, that everyone see he was so edgy he said the name. That was all it took to have them caught. Almost two dozen wizards with their wands raised right at them, surrounding them like some hit squad. Duck! Potter yelled, instincts at last serving him well. But his hands only caught Ron and Hermione, with Luna still turning to see who had popped into the clearing. The Gryffindors hit the deck, but Draco had to dive those few feet to Luna. Stupefy! yelled all the adults' voices 
and there wasn't time to get Luna to the ground. Protego horribles, Draco yelled, pouring every fibre of magic in his body into the talon wand, and impossibly the shield flew up just in time and held. Fumos duo, Draco yelled, and dark red smoke filled the night air as he and Luna hit the grass, where the Gryffindors were coughing from the smoke. The shield collapsed in a second under the weight of all that red light, but it didn't matter in the smoke as the next stunning spells whizzed in the air above them. It felt like Draco had been run over by the Hogwarts Express, but he grappled with his own blindness to grab hold of all four of them, though he couldn't be sure whose limbs were whose. If he could apparate them all out, but he didn't know if he could side along so many. Just Hermione the Muggleborn, he had just to get Hermione out, but was that her wrist or Luna's? And spells kept flying overhead and he thought footsteps were getting closer. Ventus Tria! he yelled, closing his eyes and forcing the talon wand into the air. The dark red smoke was all caught up into a hurricane that whipped all around them, with the sound of adult wizards crying out and falling, trees whipping, one falling with a crash. Draco thought he had Hermione and finally he could. Stop! yelled a very unslithering voice. Stop! That's my son inside all that smoke! Mr Weasley! Draco tried to yell, but found he could barely hear himself over the wind. And then he caught sight of the man trying to fight his way through the blast. Meteolo Jinx Recanto, Draco called, and the whipping force over Ron's father dissipated, leaving five prone teenagers on the dirty ground, with Mr Weasley rushing up with a face like death. Ronnie, you all right? Mr Weasley called shakily, offering a hand up to his son. Out of the way, Arthur, said the icy voice of Crouch who was leading a group of wind-swept-looking ministry wizards towards them. His face was contorted in irrational fury, and it inevitably fastened on Draco, as anyone with sense would have known it would. Even if Draco hadn't been the only one with his wand out, it would have. "'It seems I don't need to ask,' he snapped. "'Which of you conjured the dark mark?' "'Worry about your son, you gormless maggot.' He's probably off at large already, just foaming at the mouth to turn me into a ferret. It took a moment before the implication hit, and then Potter and Hermione were yelling out denials that drowned out each other's. Luna's face was still buried in her arms, and Ron was looking around with dull wonder. Bloody hell, Draco, he breathed. What did you do to the trees? Draco would he had to concede, have looked less guilty if he had not just levelled half a forest. His whole body felt loose and numb with the energy he'd consumed, fizzing at his fingertips and toes, limbs like long, spongy weights. We didn't cast the mark, Draco called weakly. We saw someone else do it, but not who, and he's gone. And wow. Didn't that sound convincing? Yeah, we didn't do anything, said Ron, looking indignantly at his father. What did you want to attack us for? 
Draco was just protecting us with that uh, hurricane smoke thing. Do not lie, sir, shouted Crouch. You have been discovered at the scene of the crime. Hand over the criminal in your midst. Luna poked up her head from her arm cocoon. Oh, no. They don't mean Draco, do they? It wasn't Draco, she called loudly. There was a strange man we all saw. Draco was right here with us. He didn't. He was busy trying to make Victor Crumb kiss me. Draco feared Luna's remarks had not exactly helped his cause. Barty, whispered a nearby witch. They're kids, Barty. They'd never have been able to. Did you see what those kids just did? Where did the mark come from, all of you? Said Mr Weasley quickly, even though he seemed to be looking in Draco's direction doubtfully. Always in the wrong place at the wrong time. This taught Draco to try and protect Harry Potter. Over there, said Hermione shakily, pointing at the place where they had heard the voice. There was someone behind the trees. They shouted words and incantation. Oh, stood over there, did they? said Mr Crouch, turning his popping eyes on Hermione now. Disbelief etched all over his face. Said an incantation, did they? You seem very well informed about how that mark is summoned, Missy. Watched your little death eater friend do it, did you? Draco should have shut his mouth. He couldn't help it. Don't call her Missy, you chauvinist. And, and don't call me a death eater. I'm not. We'll see about that, said Crouch, and gave a brief baffled glance at the pink pyjamas before forcibly rolling Draco's sleeves up which thankfully showed his arms as both pale and clear. Unhand the boy, Crouch! Mr Weasley yelled, getting between them. Whatever else he may be, he is a child of fourteen, my son's schoolmate. Lucius Malfoy's son, Crouch said with loathing. We'll see what he is, your wand boy. Draco handed over the talon wand, pretending not to be reluctant. Crouch cast Priori Incantato on it, only to snort when a large gust of thick grey smoke in a winding spiral erupted from Draco's wand. Right, how could I forget what you did to the trees? Meanwhile, other wizards had the sense to look in the direction of the stranger, lamenting it was too late. I don't think so, said a bearded man. Our stunners went right through those trees. There's a good chance we got them, and if we didn't, the Malfoy boy must have. He must be careful, said a few of the wizards warningly, as the man squared his shoulders, raised his wand, marched across the clearing and disappeared into the darkness. He had to push aside more than a few upended branches and trees to make it through. Draco had a flash of memory of this stumbling man holding his dead son in his arms. Oh yeah, that was Cedric's dad. But Mr Diggory found no sneaking Death Eater in the bushes, only a discarded wand. He emerged with it, his hair covered in leaves, while Bagman apparated in and began to ask late questions. Do any of you recognise this wand? Mr Diggory demanded, holding it high in the air, where the dark mark was considerate enough to illuminate it for them. Hey, that's mine, said Potter. And for a mad moment, Draco thought the poor sod was lying to try and keep Draco out of Azkaban. Excuse me, 
of Mr Diggory, in what hardly seemed a respectful enough tone to address the Harry Potter. That's my wand, said Potter, like a man desperate to deepen his acquaintance with Dementors. I dropped it. You dropped it? repeated Mr Diggory in disbelief. Is this a confession? You threw it aside after you conjured the mark? Amos! Think who you're talking to! Mr Weasley snapped angrily. Is Harry Potter likely to conjure the dark mark? Or lie for any other who did it? Oh, of course not, mumbled Mr Diggory. Sorry, carried away. I didn't drop it there anyway, said Potter, and gestured in the direction of that great, looming, carnivorous skull. I missed it right after we got into the wood. And how long? Mr Diggory said, joining Crouch and staring down at Draco. Have you been with Mr Malfoy tonight? All night, Potter said guilelessly, and now he was trying to get Draco sent to Azkaban. Do you think it possible? Crouch breathed. That one of your friends could have taken it from you or picked it up without you noticing. There's an easy way to see if it was this wand. Mr Diggory reminded them, and Draco couldn't help but flinch and turn away when Mr. Diggory cast Priori Cantato on Potter's wand, and a miniature, grey, dark mark roared to life, like the skull had dibs on one wand and the snake on another. The snake, naturally, seemed to be the one with the strongest preference for Potter's. Deletrius! Mr. Diggory shouted, and the smoky skull vanished in a wisp of smoke. Draco Malfoy! Kraut said with a grim but audible satisfaction. You are under arrest for the unlawful casting of the most murderous spell. He didn't do it! Potter yelled, inserting himself between them with a magnificent fury that was a thing to behold, in any circumstances, let alone when Draco felt this weak and drained in mind and body, and very much needed some righteous saviour to pick him off the ground and keep him for going down for dark magic he hadn't even performed. And for the re violation of the decree of the reasonable restriction of underage sorcery in the presence of twenty ministry witnesses, there's an allowance in the decree for self-protection, Barty. You know that will never hold up in court, Mr Weasley protested, inserting himself as well. Amos! Amos, no! Mr Diggory had cast an invisible binding spell on Draco, and an anti-disapparition charm followed. For Merlin's sake, Amos, he doesn't know how to apparate, he's fourteen! Draco nodded in hasty agreement, only for the silence to be broken by Luna's plaintive voice inserting itself, saying, If you're going to be arresting my cousin, I'd like for you to arrest me as well, please. No one in the clearing, including Draco, knew what to make of that offer. What is this girl? Are you confessing that you conjured the mark? Crouch barked. No, I didn't, Luna said, blinking guilelessly. But Draco didn't either. We all saw him not do it, didn't we? The five of them nodded together, Ron waving his arms in enthusiastic agreement. So, I might as well be arrested with him, since he's no more guilty than I am. And he is wearing my pyjamas. I had hoped to get them back at some point. They're my second favourite. This is so ridiculous, Hermione took up the theme. He did nothing except try to defend us. You all just apparated in and shot spells at us. He couldn't see you weren't Death Eaters. We all vouched for him. It wasn't his one to do it, and 
Just because he's a Malfoy, that doesn't mean... Exactly, Draco said, leaning on Potter, which allowed him, even in his bonds, to draw his weary body up to full height. If we were all judged by the deeds of our family, where would that leave us, Mr. Crouch? Draco's attempt at subtlety was ruined by himself when he got blank looks from the other students and couldn't resist adding, You see, his son's a Death Eater. The minute Crouch lunged at him, snarling with his teeth out, Draco knew he had won. Admit it, Draco said. You're just arresting me to try and get the minister his wand back. You know, Draco said some time after, when the wizards were done taking all their reports, and Mr Diggory was unbinding him from the arrest spells. Your hostility was uncalled for. I'll have you know, I've been a quite enthusiastic supporter of your lovely son at Quidditch. Oh, my son is a brilliant seeker, isn't he? Mr Diggory enthused before his gaze darkened. And you'll beat him last year, didn't you? Oh, if that's an arrestable offence, wiping the floor with the official's son's sorry ass at Quidditch. Draco drawled loud enough for every wizard there to hear. By all means, arrest me. I beat Cedric at Quidditch as well, Potter offered, helpfully. Are we done wasting our time terrorising schoolchildren, Barty? Mr Weasley asked wearily, while several wizards around burst into helpless laughter, quickly suppressed when Crouch glared in their direction. Schoolchildren, Crouch echoed sweeping his arm around the clearing and gesturing to all of the spell damage to the trees. Yes, this is clearly the work of mere school children. Take our eyes off this 14-year-old and we may have another Dark Lord rising on our hands. Thank you, Draco called and earned a whack from an exhausted, relieved Hermione as Crouch glowered at him and turned on his heel. He kept up his smirk before collapsing against her and sighing. It really is flattering. He thinks I could be the next great dark lord. It's not like winning a pageant, Draco, Hermione said crossly. Draco hugged Luna closer too, while Mr Weasley saw off the rest of their company. Thank you, Luna, Draco mumbled. You're the best cousin in the entire world. You're lucky we didn't both get arrested, pink pyjamas and all. Luna looked down at her dirt and leaf-strewn legs and shrugged. I'm sure my favourite cousin will buy me new ones. I will, I will. You're the best. I love you. Thank you. Draco groaned and enfolded Luna and Hermione tighter in his jelly-like arms. There was a clearing of a deeper throat nearby. I, uh, I wasn't going to let them arrest you either, Potter said awkwardly. Draco was too tired to properly roll his eyes in Severus's manner, so he just stuck his tongue out. Oh, so brave and handsome. You're my hero, Harry. How might I ever repay you? Not just Potter, but all the students reacted, even a returning Mr Weasley. What? Draco said, flushing. I was joking. 
and Potter smiled too brightly for such a dark night. You called me Harry, Potter said, in a voice like this was far more astonishing than Draco attacking twenty ministry wizards with a tornado made of burgundy smoke. Draco's soul could have been sucked out of him by sheer mortification before any Dementors could have had come close enough. And it will never happen again, Draco said loftily, before turning to Ron for a distraction. What about you, Ron? Any accolades to claim for my defence? What was your contribution? Um, Ron considered, and then reached into his pocket and pulled out his prized new figure. I protected Victor Crumb. Thank you for listening to this chapter of Draco Malfoy and the Wheel of Hecate, part four of the Mirror of Isidiru series by Star Bridges.